0: GoLight presents the Talking Bollocks Podcast. Go out,
1: go out, go out. What you waiting for? Put your back in it. Just a little more. So you're waiting it now. Fill your body up in. What gets all
0: that long? When you finish that? Tape knocker. Go down. Boom, episode 75 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, Terry Flower. It's me, CLB. And this week, we're joined by
1: Tony O'Reilly. <laughs> That's your cue, Tony. <laughs> that
0: was your cue to go. <laughs> uh, this week, we're not going to run with uh, any zingers, any suggestions, anything like that. We're on the clock, but So this is a more serious podcast as well. It's something that we're both passionate about and we want to get into. And uh, Tony, you're the perfect guest for that. If you want to give us a short brief about what you're
2: going to talk about with us today. I suppose then I'm going to talk about my gambling addiction and give a snapshot, I suppose, of how it started off as a recreational activity, small one-pound bet, and then where it ended up um, totally derailing my life. And suppose also just talk about, the, I suppose, bouncing back after as well. I suppose that's an important part of it too. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so this is something that we've actually talked about a numerous amount of times on this podcast, Tony, and in more recent weeks, it's it's going to rear its ugly head again. And we're like, you know what, we need to actually get someone who's been through the mill with this and then come out the other side as well to talk about the, the dark side of gambling and how it's a invisible addiction, you know, because we talk about addiction a lot in this, but substance abuse, and you see the physical uh, the physical aspect of that, but what you don't see with gambling is the physical, what's actually going on mentally, sorry, mm-hmm. you can't really see it physically, and what it's actually doing to somebody behind us, so that's why we, we wanted to get somebody in, and I think you had a perfect guess for that. So, uh We both have our own personal experiences with gambling and we will touch on that, we've done it before, but it's been a long time since we actually got into the details, so we'll come around to that, but uh, if you want to take us back to the start, Tony, and talk about just maybe a short intro of where you grew up and then how you got to do
2: your first bit. So I was born in Carlo, bang in the centre of the town and lived a normal life, Um, family of three, myself and two sisters. Um, growing up, um, I suppose, you are normal, everyday, happy lad. We're out playing soccer in the fields, um, doing knick-knacks, knocking on people's doors and running away, stuff like that. Like, just a normal, happy um, childhood. But I, also, I always felt I was kind of... I always had that little bit of insecurity in me. I um, always felt on the peripheral of group, groups and trying to find my own, I suppose, place in my group of friends. And I often kind of drifted between groups of friends. Um, I suppose my... My first ever kind of experience of gambling would have been when my dad brought home, um, well, not really gambling, I suppose, but was probably seeing it. My dad brought home an Amstrad CPC 464, if any of you remember it. Um, an old kind of style home cure, something like the Commodore 64 that was out years ago. I'm definitely showing my age. And I was 10 at the time. And some of the games that came with it were free games. You load them in with the cassette. And one was a fruit machine game. And when I'm even doing some of the talks nowadays or my um, some of the school talks, I show a clip of it. And even like 37 years later, I can still hear the sound and see the visuals of it. So even back then, it kind of grabbed my attention. Um, and I suppose growing up as well, I would have um, surrounded myself by nice things. I would have bought music. And as you were saying today, I was in Tower Records buying stuff as well today. And my to kind of combat the insecurity, I used to surround myself by nice things. And in my room, best of tellies, best of stereos and a lot of music and everything had its place. And that was a way for me always to kind of settle myself. Um, and my first probably experience at gambling wasn't really until I was 24, which in today's bit world late. is very late. Very late yeah. Yeah, I remember. yeah, it was 98, I work up the World Cup quarterfinals. It was a different landscape back then. For me, I suppose, it was a lot of the gambling, or most of the gambling was done in bookie offices. Mm. Online wasn't really a thing. Like, smartphones only came in nine years later. So it wasn't really a thing, and it wasn't a thing in my circle of friends, whereas nowadays, you know, I'm, I, we work with people who are <clears throat> 17, 18, 19, in full-blown addiction from gambling, so, um, yeah, my life growing up, I, I suppose I, I left college, I went to the local IT, very young, me, sort of, went to the local IT, left college, and went out working at an early age, and probably the sign of things to come is I really liked having money and buying things, and that's always been a narrative throughout my life, was buying stuff. And even today, well, in Dubnick, I'm just buying stuff. Like, and I, and even though I haven't gambled in nearly eleven years, I would definitely cite online shopping and shopping as something I have to be very mindful of. Like
1: an impulse thing.
2: Impulse control disorder. The gambling used to be, yeah. But definitely that compulsivity. If you told me they have a new band, and I and I kind of heard one of their songs, I'd nearly have that feeling of I need to go and buy all their albums, yeah, just to have them. And I really kind of. Even now today, like in while I'm in good recovery from gambling, it's something I have to be very mindful of and something that I kind of um constantly am working on or battling against, as well as obviously being in recovery from gambling. Do you still get that
0: impulse too? Like, do you still feel like you could slip even though you're eleven years?
2: Yeah, like for example, like I wouldn't have had it for about a year. Um, but I was over at the Liverpool Everton game a couple of weeks ago and you know, I was walking down to the centre Liverpool at I think it was about quarter to ten in the morning. And walking past the Ladbrokes, I can't really remember which book it was, I think it was the Ladbrokes, and the door was open, real inviting, kind of, not like here where it'd be a small door, like the whole thing was open. And for two seconds in my head, it kind of, no one knows me here, I could actually go in and place a bet and no one knows me. So even, I always say when I work with clients that if enough things line up, um, I very much could go back gambling. I just have to be very mindful of that, and especially with the shopping and with the other impulse that I have, I'm very mindful of every day for me is a day kind of working on recovery.
1: That's mad. Um, I'm kind of hung up on the fact that you were 24 doing your first bet mm. because I was definitely underage of 18 when I was in a boogie spending mm. and that was just a casual thing which I made to used to do it. You got a five or a ten are you an accumulator on a Saturday hoping that you'd get served and nine times out of ten you did. Yeah. And then because you're down there not often enough, usually your one behind the hill would know you. Yep. You'd have no problem getting served. And then you said about the smartphones making it easy. I thought it made it more difficult because you had to verify your account then with a smartphone.
2: Yeah, well, I've done TY talks this year and you know, I remember asking a group of 20 lads how many of them gambled and half of them were a brilliant class and were very honest. Half of them turned said they had online accounts and they said, how do you manage getting get an online account open? And they said, because we manipulated that on our phone and one of them said, Paddy Power thinks I'm 28. And I think it's more so when they try to take the money out. That's, that's when they, when the that's when they get through. Happen, yeah. But they can get the accounts open and get the bets on, but it's when they try to take the money out. Yeah, That's why we need more or we need some kind of legislation regulation, which hopefully is it's on its way. Mm. So
1: take us back to '98. You said it was the World Cup. Yeah. So talk us through that experience. What what made you at 24 say, "Do you know what? Actually, I'm actually going to go into a bookies now." Something that I could have done probably six years ago, but now I'm going to do
2: it. Yeah, I was working in a bar called Scraggs Alley, which is in my hometown. Very busy bar back in the day. A friend of mine was sitting at the counter having a few pints, waiting for the match to kick off. Um, it was around lunchtime, and I remember he just very innocuously said to me, "I'm going out to place a bet in the match." And I just said, sure, my lunch break, I'll go down and have a look. So I went down the bookie office, actually the back stairs over in the car park where I used to work and went in, I was blown away by the hustle and bustle, you know, it was mainly older men and kind of, um, there was dockets on the ground and pens, you know yourself, what said, bookies, no, you yeah. bookies. And I was taken back by the the energy in there and I decided I was going to place a bet on Patrick Clyburn to score first. Um, he was odds about six or seven to one. And I didn't carry cash with me when I was in work. I had a couple of loose coins in my pocket, an old Irish punt, yeah. And I decided to place a pound on him at six to one or seven to one, whatever, and to, to, for him to score first. And just as what I was about to do, I noticed a special on the board for him to score first and Holland to win two one was forty five to one. And I said to my friend, "Why not I do that one?" He said, "You be mad or you know, three or four things have to happen within the match." and... Um, and my exact words to him was, like, it's only a pound.
1: Yeah.
2: And he flicked a pound at me. He said, you'll have probably have beginner's luck stick a pound on for me as well. And we put the bet on, went back up to watch the match, and he did score after 12 minutes, Clivert. And then um, I think Lopez for Argentina equalized after 17 minutes. And then for the next 73 minutes, we headed every ball. We kicked every ball. It was, And we were we were telling everyone about the bet. So, like, yeah, you know, everyone was congratulating. Yeah, and you're investing. But also people are congratulating you even if when you haven't even won the bet yet and saying, how did you even think of that? Like, you must be good at this. And um, in the 89th minute, the Burkham goal, the famous World Cup goal, Burkham's goal. And I often say when I'm doing the talks in schools, like it wasn't just the fact that we won £45. Like, at £45 back then, probably about a third of a week's wages for me, like probably the equivalent of putting 3 or €4 on today and winning €120, €150 or something yeah. like that. And, uh, which was a lot of money for me at the time.
1: Yeah, definitely. But
2: it was also how it happened. Like the you know the, the ball was taken down from this guy and he just, he rifled it past the keeper, so it wasn't just the money it was the, the buzz I got from the way it happened. Like yeah. we've all watched, like even watching the Premier League over the weekend, you know you see City come back to win three two. It's how it happens is because like more the of the yeah be, yeah. And I remember everyone was congratulating us, and I I often tell the story as well that we we were you know we went drinking for the night, buying people drink for the night and. And uh, later on that night, you know, because I worked in Scrags, we were getting lemons from behind the bar and reenacting the goal. We were, you know, and everyone was congratulating us. Yeah. And going to bed that night, thinking this is easy. This is an easy way to make yeah. money. And whilst that
0: you you're thought, yeah, you thought, look, like, this is going to be, like in your head, you'll probably think, I'm going to be a millionaire too. Every
2: time I a bet, I, I can just pick. I can pick it out because I either have luck or I know something about football. Yeah. Yeah. Or you think you know something about football, and you know it stayed at that level for about five years. Because I very much like what you described, you go in at the weekend, you place your football bet, five or ten or here. It was entertainment. It was a way of I used to work every Saturday afternoon. And um it was very much you watch soccer Saturday and if the bet came in brilliant. No more so than not it didn't, but you had a bit of crack with it, a bit of entertainment. It was only when I opened <coughs> my online account in two thousand and three that like, that kinda of changed. Um that changed everything really.
0: And at 24 and 98,
2: was that your first time ever even walking into a bookies? Yeah, I remember even as a young, a young lad in my, own, my uncle's house, he was always kind of into the horse race. And I was just thinking like, how could anyone have any interest in this? Mm. And I remember even, you know, a couple of times in the bookies afterwards, that first time I was in it, thinking like, why do people gamble on these greyhound jokes? Like it's over in 20 seconds. Like, what's the point? And then when I saw the virtuals, I was kind of thinking like people are gambling like cartoon racing Yeah. little did I know that probably 10 years later I'd be putting 100 euro each way on every 14 to one shot <laughs> and that's how you know it's just mad how you kind of think it's the maddest thing in the world and then suddenly you're you're in the middle of it yeah. it's
0: like the money almost doesn't become money anymore isn't it it's like it's like you're just thinking numbers like like I feel like if, I, if I'm betting lying, so I'd even sometimes like see I'd be more bad gambling when I used to drink so mm. I'd be up at six in the morning, there's nothing to bet on. But I'd sit there on virtual horses all night long. But the money in the corner didn't really bother me. Do you know no. what I mean? Like I used to just
1: think numbers like and yeah. then it's
0: only the next day when you come around uh, the following day you're like, I oh, you lost playing four or five hundred quid there. Mm. Just sitting in the gaff betting on virtuals.
1: Okay, yeah. It's that disconnect, isn't it? That you're not physically handing over fifty quid. Yeah. Just a number on the screen and it's gone. And you're
2: like, all right. But yeah, it's still fifty quid. The online thing happened. I got a 50 euro voucher from my girlfriend's brother for Paddy Power. And I got it for a Christmas present, but I didn't try even cash that in until February. So like 50 euro sitting there. So like I wasn't even bothered betting. So it wasn't a big thing. And then I went into the bookie shop and said, can I use that to place a bet? And I said, no, you have to open up an online account. And I went, all right. So I had a, the, old, the old Dell PCs in, the, yeah. in my bedroom. Like I didn't even have a laptop at that stage. Mm. Went home, opened up the account. And now exactly what you said, like it was like, it didn't feel real because I had to associate my credit card to make lodgements into it. So now you're gambling with free money essentially because yeah. if you win a bet, you put off the minimum repayment off the credit card. And then that just, it's like if you're going and spending money on it, you don't you don't you rationalize, you just kind of keep spending. And it's only when it gets to a certain point, you kind of go, oh, hold well, on, I may try to pay off some of this. Mm. But also the ability to place a bet from the comfort of your own bedroom without actually driving to a car, going down, filling out a docket, getting money, handing over the counter, coming back. So it made it a lot easier, and for me, they were the two elements that really kick-started my gambling, kind of slowly creeping up.
1: Yeah, you were saying. So, did you? you thought talking old So you were about five years into gambling then. Mm. Did you ever think like this is an this is an issue, or you just like no, I'm alright. It's not affecting my life. I'm, I'm coping with this.
2: No, well tree. When I like I for, I have the whole my whole betting history. So from old to 2011, eight years of of my gambling history is in a document, 1,106 pages long. Mm. Now, the first page of that document shows the bets I was doing. I was doing a fiver on Roy Keane to get sent off. Two euro Michael Owen to score the first goal. I think my first bet online that one, I think it was a tenner on Henrik Larsson to score the first goal in the Celtic game. So, the the bets I was doing, it was very much like still your regular gambling. But because it was online, I was starting to do a little bit more regularly. So, instead of just doing it on a Saturday, maybe the odd horse race... I was now going on every night and you might be gambling on, as you were saying, stuff in the middle of the night or the next available thing. Um, but also the, the the amounts of money slowly started creeping up as well. So it was like a, a progress, I suppose, or a continuum.
1: Yeah, and I suppose the big thing here is the fact that it impacted your life, your employment life, so your career. Do you want to take us into that? This is the big jump now.
2: Yeah, I suppose... To, uh, before maybe jumping into that side of it, there was one bet that I always say changed everything. And it was 2005. It was two years into my um, online yeah. gambling. Yeah. And it was the final if the UEFA Cup, now the Europa League. And um, CSK Moscow were playing sport in Lisbon. And CSK Moscow were one 0 down a half time. The match was on in Sporting Lisbon's ground as well that year. So that probably added to the price. But they were 10-1 to 1 to win the game. And I thought it was a really good bet. Because I've been watching them throughout the tournament and got home, had a laptop at this stage, sitting in the sitting room. I got home at half-time from work, and my partner was sitting beside me. I remember even just turning the laptop slightly so she couldn't see how much money I was going to put on it. Because she knew I liked the bet, so she knew I went down on a Saturday, and I always said I'm only putting a 5 or 10 But now I was kind of gambling 50s. Yeah. And I remember putting 50, I was going to put 50 euro on it to a 10-to-1, which would have been 500 euro win. And just as I was about to press bet now, I know it's that West Hamer playing Ipswich in the playoff semi-final like into the Premier League and I decided to put um, Bobby Zamora in as, on the bed as well as first goal score so I did 50 or double push, pushed down the laptop cover went up to have a shower came down and within 11 second half minutes um, Bobby Zamora scored the first goal and CSK Moscow gone 2-1 up now he let a big shout out of me and herself comes in and says what's the story Liverpool playing and I said no that's next week Champions League final and um I remember I said to her, just like, I have a tenner on, I have a few other bets in, but if this team wins, I'm due to win about €500. Euro. And she said, oh, that's great. And I, I said, even better, I'm going to give you most of it towards, you know, but we're getting married a couple of years there. I said, listen, put that towards the wedding. And um, then they scored a third goal, and she was kind of invested in it a little bit as well. she coming in now checking, because obviously you know, it was because it was a lot of money. And when the bet did come up after CSK Moscow won 3-1, Again, I, I kept the laptop away so you couldn't see it. But when I logged in, it now showed €4,950. So within the space of an hour, i won nearly €5,000. Now, instead of being delighted with that, I was kind of going, why didn't I put €100 euro on it? Yeah. Why didn't I put €200 euro on it? Yeah. I put it on the price of really? the wedding, price of a new car. Now, I did take the um, €500 euro out and give it, give it to herself. I kept the €100 euro and probably bought a couple of CDs or something for myself as well. I put €1,500 or thereabouts back onto the credit card as paying off some of the the kind of loans or loan repayment on it. But I left €3,000 in my online account to gamble with. And you kind of see this free money then. Um, what happens, is I started doing bets of €100 euro and €200. Euro. And if you're doing €200 euro and €100 euro bets, it won't take long to cut through €3,000 if you're not oh. winning.
0: And it's hard to go back then to the and euros bet, isn't it?
2: So then what happens is you lose the €3,000. I lost a lot of it around the Champions League final in 2005 with Liverpool. And then you went chasing it. And then um, I started chasing that then. So your whole psychology nearly flip flops, and you start chasing the three thousand euro because you you don't think that I'm after starting with fifty euro. You think I'm after losing three thousand euro, and then you chase, and then well, next thing we, you did, yeah, like
0: that next, was your own money,
2: yeah. And you start chasing the three thousand euro, and then you lose five thousand euro on your credit card, and then you go to the bank, get a loan, top it up, start the whole process again. And fast forward on two years later, when I get married, I'm about twenty five thousand euro in debt before I get married. All gambling related. So it very much, very quickly started to impact life.
1: And does anyone in your family have an inkling that no. this is going
2: on? Not until it came to light in, in the weekend, 29th of June, 2011. People knew you liked the bed. It was only afterwards then people said, oh, that's why you were so withdrawn. That's why, you know, even the night your stag party you went missing for three hours because you were down at Paddy Powers when all the lads and Britain were celebrating your stag party. That's why you were more stressed at your wedding. That's why, you know, you were just a shell of a person for lots of times. Um Like, people notice a change in my persona but never put it down to gambling. Um, But there there was changes within me.
0: How bad did it bring you mentally?
2: Very low. Like, like, you know, I very much at the end, I'd suicidal ideation. Um, You know, like, again, I can chat about that later on. But, like, I I was in a hotel room in Carrick, Fergus, thinking of taking my own life. So, like, it starts off as a one-home bed and then it, it builds up to that.
1: So, when, so this is, I jumped ahead of it. So when does this jump happen?
2: What year are we talking? Are we? So seven was when I got married. Yeah. So um, two weeks before the wedding, I'm €25,000 in debt. We're supposed to have €6,000 on my credit card to pay the balance of the wedding. And my wife-to-be had been giving me money to pay off the credit card. And um, I wasn't. I was trying to win back all the other money. So any money was coming in, was gambling it. And then I was I remember even um you know a couple of about a week before the wedding thinking, how am I gonna get this money? So I went into the credit union and I said, Can I get a loan of six thousand euro for a wedding? And they said, No, we can't give you money. You've got too many top-ups in the last 12 months. And I go into my bank, they say the same. So I'm kind of week before the wedding and kind of going, How am I gonna get this money together? So what I do is I start selling all possessions, trying to win, you know, I'm putting it online and they're putting money onto the account, trying to win the exact amount. And then like um you know, we we got a present of the we got a present of the wedding, the balance as a present, and so I thought I was like, after okay, getting no trouble here. So I arrive over to um, Cyprus, like eighty of us went over for the wedding, and um, you know I'm sitting there. I had an old Nokia 3210 at the time, like smartphones were only coming in. So I was there. I used to ring in my bets. So like even when I was ringing in bets, I used to know my sixteen-digit credit card and were off by heart when I was ringing it in. So I knew that I couldn't ring in bets over there. I didn't bring my laptop with me. So I'm thinking I'm over here. I'm after getting. I'm after getting out of jail as such, as such with the, um, at
1: the with panel. the present. Yeah,
2: sitting there thinking I'll be fine. I'll fix it a bit when I get home. But part of me was always thinking as well that my you know my fiance thinks there's another six thousand in the credit card, so she could ask for extra while we're over there. so part of me is always thinking I need to get this back quickly as well. So I'm over in Cyprus. Um, Forty of us arrived the first night. Drinks and arrival, dancing, singing for the night. Going to bed at night, I noticed a couple of PCs in the foyer at the hotel with internet access. So my thing was, well, maybe I can have a few bets from him here. And then you're also thinking, well, I'm worth getting a bit of cash as a present, so I can I can use some of that to pay off the hotel and use some on the credit card. So I start gambling. And, you know, the first morning I sneak down, put in the Cypria pound, and lose a couple of hundred euro off the bat, and then you start panicking again. So then by the afternoon, you're down a thousand euro. Then you're down two thousand euro. Then you're down four. And then a couple of days before the wedding, I put two thousand euro on a horse to try win it all back. The horse gets beaten by a neck. And I'm there sitting in the hotel bar thinking shite, what am I going to do? It was two days before the wedding. And my friend even came in and said, are you okay? I mean, best man, are you okay? He said, you haven't been, you know, yourself since we arrived. And of course I fobbed him off saying I was just wedding nerves. And then I remembered, I went online to get a free bet and I remembered that I had an ongoing bet that I'd forgotten about. And two of the two of the parts of the, cumul- the four-part accumulator had already won. Derby County were playing that night in the playoff final. They barely won 1-0, so three parts of the accumulator out of four. Um, had won when I'm going in to celebrate my wedding. And I know there's a horse race two days after the wedding. That horse has to win. If that horse doesn't win, I have no way of paying for this wedding. And I was stressed during the day of the wedding. Like I was should I didn't I didn't enjoy it for what I should have uh, what it should have been. One it was tarnished by aunt, course, yeah. And um <clears throat> and then two days after the wedding I'm sitting in the hotel room and my wife potted around behind me, oblivious to the fact that I needed um this horse authorised, written by Frankie Dorey to win the Derby for me to be paid for it. I think there's about €2,500 going on to a 6-4 to shot. And uh, he won. Now he came from, I remember watching the race and I didn't, like, I uh, I didn't understand the track and he came from way back to win. And I'm sitting there and I go into the bathroom and I'm biting my fist trying not to kind of yell with just pure relief. And I get out of jail as such and the money comes onto the credit card and I pay the wedding. But you're kind of left with that thought of I shouldn't be waiting on a bet to pay for anything let alone my wedding. And you kind of go, well, I'm going to try, i may try to fix this. You know, the way you get that moment of clarity. The problem is, I'm sure you'll agree, like if you've had many guests on, you know, saying but about Tom alcohol uh, addiction, you can't, it's commonly accepted you can't drink away with an alcohol problem. You yeah. have to go for support or help. But the gambler believes can, he's that one better way yeah. of fixing everything. Yeah. And that's what i done. A couple of months later, I, I went back to the bank, got another couple of grand, came up with this big plan of how I was going to win it all back. Because now I had to win 31,000 euro back. And I started that whole process again roll on two weeks, two years later, sorry, and I'm 45,000 euro in debt.
0: But Tony, do you reckon even, So I think, do you ever get that moment when you have a big bet on, and you think, if this bet wins, I'll never gamble again? Did you
2: believe if you, had a,
0: if you had a got back to even money, you wouldn't have gambled again?
2: There's a great film called Mississippi Grind, and it's about gambling, and the win the jackpot in the end, i probably ruined it for if anyone hasn't seen it. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, sorry, right sorry. The end. yeah, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, and there's a moment at the end of it where he just he goes in he goes sits back in the car and you know even though he's he's sorted everything out he he'll go he's going back at it. because about being in action it's not about the money yeah if I got all that money back at any point of my addiction I would have started again like there was one point where I I I won ten thousand euro I think it was the half-time, full times and start of it could have been the two thousand six World Cup it was before it was really a problem. And I could have cleared all the debt, and I wasn't gambling rate debt at that time. I could have cleared everything and had a thousand euro left. For and I said, right, and I am clearing everything. I remember I was on a high that night and thinking, right, I'm going to go book a holiday in the morning. And um, it was a Saturday night. I'm going to book a holiday maybe Monday morning when the money comes into the account. And then I was just thinking, I don't need a holiday. I lose a thousand euro. I was the rate. It was the Galway races, and I lost a thousand euro. And then I went chasing. By the end of the week, the ten thousand euro was gone. So it was kind of like it was never. It was never going to stop for me until I hit the rock bottom.
1: And that's the thing, that's like the worst thing for a gambler can like that they can do is win. Mm.
2: Because
1: once you get that high, they're like, do you know, what? if I won once, I can do it again.
2: Yeah, you, you
1: chase lost, chase wins. Constantly. Yep. And it's sad because there is one
0: of the biggest highs you can get in life, probably. Uh, some of the biggest highs I've ever felt was waiting on one horse and you've a treble on or when you're watching a match and you've a bet builder on you, have the first goal scorer, that's in, this is in, this is in. You're waiting on that last thing. That high is unmatched. But that law, when you lose a few mm. quid that you don't have, is is one of the worst yeah. that you can go through, do you get me?
2: Well, fast forward a couple of years and I had a 14-team accumulator on a Wednesday night. It was the English League Cup, Scottish League Cup and Belgian League Cup. And there was one team called Lork and I had 13 14 of the bets up. I knew it were up On the and accumulator? I, yeah and I, and I would have won 300,000 euro To get me back And that would have got me back And Larkin were one up On the 79th minute Sorry did you
1: say You were 300,000 down now
2: No were... I would have Yeah I would have been I would, At this stage I would have stolen 300,000 euro And this would have got me back To, to that zero point So um, i never forget Like it was a 14 team accumulator And uh, That were 1-0 up in the 79th minute The other crowd equalised And i never forget That pit of the stomach stuff
1: and I was How
2: on much did you got in? it? Was small, I think it was 1,700 euro I had on it. Small amount. 1,700 small euro. Small compared amount. to putting 40,000 on the Norwegian ladies football
1: team. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I know, but, but 14-fold accumulator. Like, if I was to yeah. do a 5-fold accumulator and put a score on it, I'd be like,
2: yeah, you know, like and the games and scores a bit much. Yeah, I suppose when they do say no a small amount. Yeah, but I suppose in comparison to where it went, it would have yeah. been smaller. But that's the thing.
0: That's, that's what I'm saying. It's hard to go back when you start betting bigger and bigger. Yeah. It's hard to go back yeah. to the 20
2: euros. You can't.
0: You you can't go back, yet, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I
2: couldn't again. for two things, because of the excitement, but also because you I had to that. win all this money back. Yeah. It was always about trying to win the money back and get back to zero. Now, would I have stopped when I got back to zero? Yeah.
0: Definitely not,
2: no. No, I don't. For so. a week
0: or two, I bet you would yeah,
2: have. Yeah, but like, I did oh, for yeah, God. I did for at various points, I did, because you got such a shock from it. Yeah. Um, but then the old itch comes back, and you kind of go "Well," it. And it was always about, like, it was, from earlier, says, especially when I started taking money, it was always about trying to win that back, trying to win that back.
1: So let's get into that. Where you yep. start taking the money, because you said there that you are stealing the money. So I'm mm. sure a lot of people won't actually know your, yeah, yeah. your story, because if they see the name, they probably won't realise who you are. But let's get into that then.
2: So suppose getting a new job, I got the job of branch manager in Gory in probably 2009, which was seen as a huge thing for someone my age to get it. Yeah, I moved you know, up through the organisation. Gory Post Office. Gorey Post yeah. yeah. uh, I was about 45,000 euro in debt at that stage because of my gambling. And I remember even thinking I'm not going to be able to take up the position because I had to buy a set. We had to buy a second car. I had to go in and beg the credit union for a thousand euro to be able to um, buy a, a run around the car to take up the position. Went into the job again. It was another moment that was tarnished by gambling because I um, I couldn't even enjoy the fact I got this big yeah. big um, job or promotion. So I went in and um, uh, the credit union said, "Listen, don't come back to us for eighteen months. You won't get anything." So. My my gambling kind of stopped for a while. I threw myself into my work, and now I would have then would have been doing the twenty euro on fifteen team accumulators to try. I wasn't. Um, I was trying to win back to twenty thousand, forty thousand, whatever it was. And I was doing a lot more lottery. I was kind of doing kind of you know hundred euro lottery week trying to win the jackpot. Um, and then I remember I went into the party power one day and I saw someone um, lodging money over the counter for their online account, and I was just thinking oh, I can start doing this again because. I was always very mindful of doing bigger bets um, in the office because I always felt someone would question it. Whereas online, it's completely anonymous. Yeah. So I started selling stuff again, starting to bankroll my big plan again to try and win all this money back. And then I remember my wife came home one day and she said she was pregnant. And again, what should be the best news and was the best news I ever got because we have a lovely daughter. But I remember thinking crap because I knew that she wasn't yeah, going to be getting returned yeah, today. That moment. Yeah, because I knew that she would. Um, she in her job at the time didn't have maternity pay so she would back on social welfare for the duration of the Big pregnancy drop of money. yeah so it was a huge drop and I was mm-hmm. dependent on half her the money for half the mortgage half different bills so I was thinking I only have five months or so five or six months or to try to get all this money back before she goes on maternity leave mm-hmm. so then the pressure really hits you so like again in the, in the presentation for the schools I show I, a picture of someone getting sick into a toilet so while she was getting sick in, in morning sickness in one bathroom, I was in the other bathroom each morning getting sick with stress. And you were saying around that, you know, there's not a physical sign of gambling, but there was a f- definite physical sign of stress on me. Yeah. I was bloated with stress. I was comfort eating, staying in the spare room, probably drinking, I wouldn't say, you know, problematically, but definitely oh. alcohol abuse, you know, going out Friday night and just forgetting about everything. And I, I remember being at a fraud conference a couple of years ago and they said for for fraud to happen, three elements have to be present pressure, opportunity and rationalization. The pressure I was under was huge. The opportunity was because I had access to the safes, but I also knew the systems <coughs> of unpost. And I started rationalizing what I started to do, because I started stealing money. And it started off as coin at the start and I'd manipulate the coin bags and I knew that they'd go by weight. And once that started once started stealing more money, like I suppose I was stealing hundreds at the start, then it went to a thousand and then two thousand. And then when it went to about four or five thousand again I was I was convinced Did you ever see that um I always say, no dumb and dumber like Christmas. Yeah. He finds a briefcase full of a, thousand, a million. Yeah, it fills Yeah, full of it, IOUs. Yeah, that was kind of, I was convinced that I would win it back. I, it's just an IOU, I'll win it back. Mm. And that, that's what you, you rationalise each and everything. And I remember um, I started stealing notes. So the notes for the pensions and social welfare would come wrapped in bundles of 50,000. So it would be 10 bundles of 50s wrapped in plastic. So you used to slice down both corners. And using the needle nose pliers, I take out two or three thousand from each bundle, seal it back up, mark with a black marker, and put it at the back of the safe. So I think by the time I got my first audit, I'd stolen eight thousand euro. And he came in cash audit, counted twelve bundles, six hundred thousand euro. When in fact it was only five hundred ninety two. And then he um, he kind of turned around and said, "Yeah, that's brilliant, Tony. Cash looks good." And then I remember when he left, I had another one of those moments of clarity where I go, "This is wrong. You know, I'm stealing money here." It's not me as a person. I'm not mm. that kind of person. Um, and I kind of, I rang my ma'am. And I just said, instead of saying, ma'am, I've got a problem with gambling. I said, I've got a problem with money. Mm. And that's what you do. You see it as a problem with money, not a problem with gambling. And I asked her to get a loan of 8,000 euro from the credit union. And begged her not to tell me that. And it took me a few weeks to get around her. You know, I was the blue-eyed boy at home. Um, and manipulated her to get a loan. Uh, I said, I'd do the repayments. I'd done the guarantor. I remember getting the check for eight thousand euro on a Wednesday evening, and I couldn't get cash in the credit union. And I went back to the office, and I couldn't put the check into the safe because the audit would usually come in Thursday morning. So I knew I was due the main audit where they come in and take over the office for the whole day. And I um, sitting there the check said I can't put this in because it wasn't endorsed with savings and investments. So if they did come in, didn't
1: know something was up. Didn't know that it was a yeah. personal
2: check. So I just had to hope they wouldn't be there the following day, and then you could put it through the safe or and it'd be flushed through the system for the next week. So I'm standing against radio, for the radio, half eight to fall more, and I see the five suits walking through the, and my heart drops. And um, at any stage, like Russian roulette, at any stage, they could have opened up any of the those three buttons yeah. that were missing money. And here was a solution in my pocket. Mm. So then um, they go through the whole audit and hand money out, but didn't go and, when they check the cash they must have put back in, the ones that were missing money back at the back. And half five the around and said, everything's perfect, honey.
0: He didn't see
2: it. Didn't see it. Uh, they didn't open up one of the bundles. I was missing money. So again, I was I was absolutely emotionally, physically drained in the chair. And then it's like a, f- a scene over film, not a camera panning and someone You can really see what they're thinking. And then kind of going, they're not going to be back for another six months. I've already got through it twice. If I just leave that there, I can use this eight thousand euro to bankroll my new plan. And I started the money. Gam-
1: you're getting off your ma, basically. Yeah. So I cashed it in and started gambling. That it's the equivalent of what happened at the wedding. Basically, yeah. you were down six grand, so you paid it or yeah. Yeah. to play with. Coming. And I
2: started gambling. And I lost within. <laughs> I lost within four or five weeks. And then, of course, you start stealing more money and more money. And my daughter was born a couple of months after that. And by the time she was born, it's would stolen €68,000. And again, I just hid that while I was out on paternity leave. Uh, another big moment, ruined by gambling. And um, I remember even in the hotel, sorry, not the hotel, in the in the hospital, ringing everyone at half two in the morning, giving the good news. And there's tears rolling on my face. And not tears of joy, what it should have been, was tears of sadness, anger. Regret giving out to myself, how did you get to this? Like, you know, I'm, how did I get to like 68,000 euro was it was kind of, and I hadn't been able to, ga- to gamble it back or win it back. Oh, 68,000 euro at all, but also to forty eight, fifty thousand 50,000, I had to try getting to my own. So it's just pure pressure. It was just, it was horrendous.
1: So, personally, over your head, there's what say, there's about 50,000 euro yeah. in debt legally. Yeah. And then you had to rob in 68,000. Yeah.
2: And you're robbing to try to win back the other, to try to get back to that zero. And it was all like, it, I'm very, even when I'm doing the presentations at schools and stuff like that, I'm always very conscious. That's all I keep saying. It was always about getting back to zero, fixing it, always about fixing the problem. And I got back after three weeks um, paternity leave. I didn't even want to take time off with my daughter anymore because I wanted to be there to try steal more money to fix it. And I just kept stealing money, stealing money.
1: And were you doing the same technique every
2: time? Yeah. And
0: yeah. um, do you remember your first time stealing? How much was the first amount that you stealed? It was a hundred oh. euro.
2: A hundred euro. Yeah, two oh. bags of two bags of two euro coins, and then just gambled that, and then it, it would have been dropped. actually ninety euro because it would replaced with a bag of ten cents, and that used to bring the weight back. Right. So that and then it was in a cloth, pink cloth bag. So I knew that they picked it up, they'd know that it was. I needed to weight it, It'd be very similar in weight. So I was used to be experimenting with all this. The thought
0: process just to mm. get the money, like
2: yeah, but see, it's like any addiction. It's like any kind of, mm. especially gambling. You'll find ways to get money. Like you'll think of ingenious, in like. I wasn't even taught me to sit day to someone like I I remember getting a tip for a horse on the day I was going on my holidays. I was going, we were going to Lanzarote or Tenerife or something that evening. I had a thousand euro in my pocket spending money. And uh, got a tip for a horse run for Paddy, I think, in the Scottish Grand National. Twenty five to one. I was told each way I bet you got you'll get your money back. Went to the bookies an hour before the race kicked off and um I'd lost nearly all of the money because I was gambling on cartoon races, gambling on everything. And I just went on that r- Kind of chasing the horse beat Ruby Walsh on the favourite who was 6-4 I think by a nose and I just about won the money back. Just before that race went off, I was down 900 euro and I was thinking, said, right, if this horse doesn't win, I'm going to go outside and start beating my head off the wall, go home with cuts and grays, throw me wallet away and say I was mugged. And that's the levels you'll go to, you'll find ways to navigate anything. I think I lost my wallet three times. I'd never, touch wood, touch, I'd never really lost my wallet. Um, it'd be there, i will do it now. Yeah. And, but I used to find ways to navigate and, and to um, navigate through different situations. But that was one of the ones, kind of looking back, kind of going like, you were willing to put your head nearly through a wall just to cover up this gambling. It's
0: scary, isn't it? Like, it's, and I think most people as well have uh, a story about gambling Where because many a times I left the book and thought to myself, what oh, oh, I'd rob a car now at this stage. Like, I remember years ago, we was forbidden fruit not forbidden flu. We were supposed to go there, me and all the boys. And the day before forbidden fruit, we were all in the bookies. We were having a few drinks. Like, oh, tomorrow's going to be great. and No matter how much it is, you no, know, you're going into really, really bad debt. But I remember I had 600 quid on me. And I won a bit, 300 quid. So I was up to 900 quid or something. And I ended up losing that one in the space of two or three hours. All of it. So I remember leaving. I was walking up the road. I was like, looking in cars and all. I was saying... I'd look to break the window and just take money or do something. No, I never did, thank God, but I remember thinking like, I'm out the fucking all that away there. Can't go out tomorrow. Can't go to this. I had to be in buzzing all day. And you're thinking about all sorts of things to try and get money up just to go out then. And like, even that, like that's nothing. That's a, sh- a tiny portion of the amount you ended up losing. Yeah,
2: but I think it's, it's relative. I think the stress or that feeling mm-hmm. is the very same. Like it's, it's the amount of money. Like I will, I worked... With numerous people uh, on a professional, um, in a professional sense, for years, and ninety percent of their story is ninety percent of my story. Like ninety percent is what you describe, or I describe. You kind of go, "Yeah, bar yeah, to right, zeros." Right, yeah, yeah, it's the exact same, nearly. So it kind of it's relative. Like, is that desperation feeling mm-hmm. of I, like I, in that moment you are willing to do anything. The difference was maybe that you did you didn't do it, and I did do it. But mm-hmm. given any other situation, you could have ended up like I. I you know, often uh, people say I never would have stole. Like you know you are. You're or, you know, like online, you're always going to get online abuse, like you're a scumbag or this, yeah. or that and the other. But I would always say like, if your back is against the wall, you you're a anything. desperate man. So if you're, if we're in the middle of something and, and you can't feed your family, you'll end up stealing to feed your family. 100%. Like we'll do things in desperate situations. Now I'm not, I'm not kind of trying to um, condone, condone what I've done because what i done was wrong. Like I, sh- I should have or could have asked for help. Like looking back now, I would, I do, that's what I do now. That's but in that moment, like, fear, honest. pride, and ego stops you from,
1: yeah.
2: mm. from looking for help. And then, you know, you don't want your friends kind of turn around, what do you mean you gamble 300 euros for, like, you need job? What, like, what's wrong with you? And I doubt that's what stopped me. And then, like, I never knew how to ask for help as a younger person because I always felt insecure. So, like, the, it, it was nearly like it was always layering up towards then. Mm. And it was just like, I just, I'll fix it. And you're convinced you'll fix it. Yeah. So,
1: you said you robbed 68. And then you're about 50,000 in debt anyway. So that means you've gambled over, what, you're talking about 120,000 euro, give or take. you have the gambling. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what you've lost. How, how many years span would that be? So what year <laughs> would it have be been that you realised you robbed 68 grand from the post office?
2: 2010. So I suppose you're looking at, um, you're looking at probably first online. But I suppose the stealing part was done very, very, Quickly, yeah, it snowballed very, very quickly, yeah. Um, so probably you, you, if you look at my gambling progression on the, my online account, you'll see that yeah, it starts for, it's a slow burner, and then mm. suddenly just boom goes. So, I think it's um, from the first minute I stole money, um, probably got to 68,000, probably in a matter of a month or two, no, once a month, probably two or three months, and then fast forward in September, October, November, December, fast forward two and a half months after that, there's an extra 230,000 euro on top of the 68. That so, you robbed. Yeah. So by the time the third audit came, I'd stolen €293,000. And I wasn't surgery removing cash at this stage. I was just changing figures on a, a thing called an AR, which is an accountable receipt. So um, when people, you know, when checks were more popular back then, so the people would come in and pay checks for their savings, investments, bills. You would get the checks off the counter. You'd t- total them all up and do a, c- a check lodgement each day. So you'd have five of those lodgements each week for the cash account for the audit. Now, I was just upping that figure by nearly 300,000. So I had it in pencil and changed it. Um, I didn't know where, like, even looking back now, the rationalization, like, I even trying to rationalize it now, like, it was just, I was just changing the figure. Like, it was always going to get caught. But in your mind, you're convinced you'll get away with it. Um, and I remember, like, there was a time with the banking crisis. So there were a lot of people were moving their money from the banks into the post office because it was state guaranteed. So for us to have figures, of half a million on checks. Wouldn't have been unusual. Yeah. But, so I remember the audit team arrived on, the, I think it was the 15th of December that year. It was tiny, the bad snow. We had really bad snow around that time. And they, they hadn't come in November. And then they usually wouldn't come in December because it's so busy. Um, but they came on the 15th. I'm sitting against the radio. And I always used to sit there on the Thursday morning looking at the cameras. And I saw them coming through the, the alleyway and my heart just dropped. I ran out to the toilet, got sick. Um, changed the figure Brought the ARs. Just five little slips of paper. Text my wife and said I'm sorry for everything. Because I was convinced that was the day I was getting caught. Because you'd have like 300,000 off, and the office balance would be probably around eight or nine hundred thousand. So you're nearly a third of the your office Someone balance is missing. missing yeah. Went back in, put them back in the safe, and just waited to be caught. Um and he I remember he took the he took the the um ARs out of the safe, went over, jotted down the figure, and was kind of looking at them and uh, put them back in so he didn't question the figures there and then again they left that day and said everything was perfect Tony the office was going great but I always left that I was also left with that um, thought that at any given time the figures the proper figures in the bank would come through to their office and they would kind of say where's the, the it would show up somewhere yeah. on a balance sheet over there so again you start panicking like four days later we had that really bad snow that, that we had in 2010 like the whole country came to a standstill and I remember getting up at four o'clock in the morning and driving to work Took me four hours to do a forty-five minute drive. Nearly crashed the car four times. My wife begged me not to go because um because it was you know so it, it was. Yeah. And uh, I remember I got into the office in the area office, rang and said, "What are you even doing there?" And I said, Astra, I'm so dedicated. You know, I'm brilliant." Yeah. And we we're all laughing for but Little did know I had to be there to hide this theft. And there was people who lived five minutes away from the office, couldn't get out the drive to come to work. But I was after driving four hours and nearly crashing the car. And um, I remember I didn't care. I was potentially going to miss my daughter's first Christmas because I had to be there. And over that Christmas, I was just stealing more money, trying to fix it. I got back that Christmas and it was a horrible Christmas for me because I was so stressed. Because you can imagine what it's like, you know, know, just that mental madness. And I believe I lost my mind from January till June the following year because I stole 1.4 million the following six months.
1: So 1.4
2: million I stole in six months.
1: So... In the space of what? So three years you took 300,000 and then in six months you took 1.5 million? No,
2: in the space of t- 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 space of about six months I took 300,000.
1: Oh, right. So uh, you're only robbing the money over the course at, of a year. At the very year. end. At the very Yeah, about a year. Maybe a little bit over. Maybe 14, 15 months. Yeah. So what are you are talking about? 1.7 in total
2: then? 1.75. That was the total figure, yeah.
1: In 15 months?
2: Even when I say it, like it's... Like, I, just to show what that looks like, I suppose, it's kind of... It's I'm stealing fifteen thousand euro a day. Yeah, you're, you're talking just about. Yeah, I've, I've done enough for presentations, like yeah. a seventy-five thousand euro a week. Yeah. And I'm physically taking fifties and putting it into my backpack and walking out. And I'm like even when I say it now, it's like there's still shivers go down back through me spine when I say the money. And and when I'm doing the presentation schools, I can see some of the bets I was doing. Like I was doing Azerbaijan football, Peruvian netball, second division Australian Anything. netball, whatever was there. And it was just the next available thing. Like it wasn't that I said, right, I can wait till the weekend till I do something that I might have an idea about.
1: Yeah, like I know league. football. I know yeah. these have a good chance when you're. like. no, yeah.
2: that's on. I'm gonna buy. I it. have to do it now because I have to get that money back straight away. Because it was just it's pure panic. And um, yeah, set, like and it wasn't that I was driving around every single paddy power in the country. I was, I was, um, I was two counters, um, one in Gory, one in Carlo. and I was never questioned where the money was coming from. So that's my
1: question. Sorry, Terence. That was my question. So I was asking about your progression in betting. So you would have been betting small,
2: then all of a sudden you're betting, what, 10,000? 10, 10 20,000. Like I said, 40,000 on the Norwegian ladies football team.
1: And no one was questioning that. There's no. no one somewhere in an office clicking, saying, Jesus, this fella's a bit, his betting pattern's a bit irregular here. We better step they were, in. They were, but they weren't stopping it. What yeah. were they doing then? If they they were, were I've in?
2: heard since, I suppose, Aaron Rogan um, done a great book called Punters. Around the rise of party Power and there's obviously a section around my story because it's a big part of their story, I suppose. As well, like, again, I admire their business acumen. Like they don't like they, they started off very small and they're multi-billion pound operation now. But they got it wrong with my story. And probably in mean, some ways, probably maybe still getting wrong in other people. like addiction, gambling is still a relatively new, I suppose, in comparison to alcohol or drug addiction. Yeah. It's there, but it hasn't it's not only really been talked about. So like he was saying that. On some days, I on quieter days that I would be doing as much gambling on my account than the rest of paddy power put together, I would be my account would be um, I I was doing huge amounts of gambling. They Google mapped my house, see where I lived because of the amounts of money I was putting on. They thought I was another Barney Curley because I was going to catch them for millions, and um, because my betting habits were so erratic. Um, you know, like and and he wrote about that in that book. It's well worth a read if you ever get a chance to read it. But it was kind of. It was just totally off the scale. Like it was nearly like everyone was aware of my account there. Like there was people set or told to stay on late at night to monitor the account to make sure, that, you know, that I was to get bets on or whatever. And um it was never questioned. It was never
1: No one tried to intervene and say, Hey, where are you getting this money? Can you afford this money?
2: Gambling addiction was different landscape back then as well as gambling at the race as I was saying at the start. So even from a money loaner point of view, it was never questioned. Um and I'm sure that would be different now, but back then it was just. What, what do you think would have been the best thing for
0: somebody in Paddy
2: power, or someone in the building, to deal with you back then, in terms of questioning and preventing? It, it, it depends on timing. Like at any given state, like at at, at the start, if someone had intervened, but before, I suppose, maybe before he even starts stealing money or a larger amount of money, I might be more open to someone saying, "Listen, we think you might have a problem." You might, you know, you might be more open to listening to some to someone saying that to you. By, time, by the time I'd gone past that point in our return, no matter what anyone had said to me, it wouldn't have made a difference because I had to get the money back.
1: And that was another question I have you, Tony. Was your end goal always to I'm going to win this amount of money and I'm going to put it back into the post office? Yeah. You were always going to put it back yeah. into the system?
2: Yeah. 11 years later now, since my, you know, since my gambling came to light, I'm still paying off my own personal debts that I'm talking about from earlier on. I didn't take any of the money I stole. I didn't pay off my debts. Yeah. I, um, and I won a lot of money as well as lost a lot of money. How much and, did you win? I won nine over nine million online, and I lost ten and a half million. So my count, my total online losses, and I know this from the documentation. I got my total online losses were one point four one seven million, and I would have lost about three or four hundred thousand euro physically in the bookies as well. So counting
1: uh, about over two million at the losing. Yeah. Your luck, yeah. Your gambling career basically. Yeah. And you, I don't mean to sound real, but have you got anything to show for that? Did you ever like win a big melt and say, I'm going to pay off the mortgage or
2: something? No. And I, was, I was asked that in the, one of the interviews when I was interviewed by the guard. I said, like, I, like you, they were going through my betting history. She said, like, you won, like, I won €462,000 one weekend. I said, you've had nearly half a million euro account there and you never thought paying off your mortgage. And I said, no, it's my gambling money. He said, what do you mean? I said, I could have had €1,000 in my pocket. And anyone who might have a gambling addiction listening to this would definitely relate to that. I could have had €1,000 in my pocket and the car run on fumes. I wouldn't go in and put twenty euro of petrol in it, or I wouldn't get a bag of chips if I was hungry and went home because that's my that's my gambling money. And as I said, I'm still paying off the loans to this day. The loans, the loans to different financial institutions. Um, but I never took any money just paid off everything. I didn't. I'm still driving a run around of a car. Um, I still owe lots of money. I still um, I'm not in the show for it. Um, I lost my house through it all. I lost my marriage. I lost my freedom. Um. I lost a lot, but I gained a lot more back, but for material wise I lost a lot, like um so I've nothing to show for it. But I do, I've I have a good life now, I suppose i I'm happy.
0: You're gambling um, yeah. for real. Yeah. Yeah. And but they're less is that.
2: Yeah, materially I've nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um I have a lot more than, yeah come out the
0: other side. Sure. Look, that could have yeah. been a, a a more tragic story than, yeah. than there is now, you know, but uh See the 462 grand you were talking about there. Was that cash or online? Online. It
2: was all online at that stage. You had
0: 462 grand.
2: So I started off with a 5,000 euro bet on a Friday evening. And it was one of those weekends where everything just went right. You know, not everything. I kind of, I was betting online. um, I got a bit of a win. I think one of the bets I won 68,000 euro on. Um, on accumulator and then lost it all but then another bet I had going got me up again I had two big wins one for 90 something thousand euro one for 115 thousand euro and I was on a roll so I had 125 bets that weekend and 46 winning bets and the reason I know all the figures I do wouldn't be presentation yeah, yeah, yeah. just because you think I'm like Rand Man or something no. <laughs> um, so,
1: so you you have what was it 460 grand yeah how much do you owe to the post office then
2: 900 thousand so just to give you an example like that weekend I won 80,000 euro on Carl Spalter, who won the Masters. I haven't already bet 48,000 euro on Tiger Woods. I'm gambling 40,000 euro on a tennis player in one match. I'm not talking about touring one match. And her career earnings to date at that time was 45,000 euro. So I would nearly gambling all her career earnings. I was even gambling 5,000 euro on the result in one game. So 5,000 euro, this game is going to be 40, 15 or 40, 30. You're gambling on, you're just in that frenzy. So... Over the course of the weekend, like you know, like people say, like you're ga- how long you're gambling? I'm probably gambling eighteen hours a day. So you're checking results, you're checking systems, you're making plans. You're gambling during the night. You're checking results. Um, Look I wake up that yeah, I wake up that Tuesday morning. There's four hundred sixty-two thousand euro in my account, and I'm buzzing. I'm kind of going right. There. I'm halfway there. I'm at, like even if I got the money back at that stage, I would have been caught. But I'm in my head. I'm halfway here, and I get into the car that morning. I have to pop the laptop. I used to gamble while I was driving. So the reason why I used to gamble when I was driving, it used to settle me. So like it's it's very akin to... I worked in alcohol treatment centres and drug treatment centres for a good few years as well. And I, The lads would often describe that in the morning, you know, that the DTs, you have to have a drink to settle themselves. Yeah. I had to have a bet to settle myself. It felt like there was someone trying to use a sledgehammer to beat away way out of my head. And it got, a bet used to just settle me. And that would that. calm you. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be there, I, I'd... um. I'd be placing bets online while driving. I'd have the phone there. So I'd be driving. And days that I was not gambling, there was no money in my account, I'd actually be looking at DVDs while driving. So I'd have the DVD rammed up into the dashboard. I, I remember, I think I watched the whole series of Prison Break while driving to Gori. It wasn't enough that I had to drive. My head had to be... Occupied and it might well. be, It might be hard for anyone who might not have a, a behavioural addiction. Mm. It, sometimes it's very hard for people to wrap their heads around that. And when I'm in the schools, I'll often say like, it's like the panic that's sitting if I say to anyone, the students, I'm going to take your, your smartphones for two weeks. Do you want to panic? What What if? What? It's like that, yeah. the head. Now, maybe not the same, but... Um, and that morning, like, the systems were down in Paddy Power, so I couldn't get a bet on So I sped into work. I, I was sitting there, put the laptop on the desk, cup of coffee, opened it up, logged on make sure I wasn't dreaming, checked it again, couldn't place a bet. And um, I remember looking over at the safe, 900,000, kind of going, right, just double this up. We're back. And I'll fix everything and I'll be able to be happy. And next day I look up and I see three audit members, three, three, three of the audit team walking into the office. And my heart just, I had no, at this stage you're not even changing, changing figures or anything. I just kind of go, I'm done.
0: The way, the I just people.
2: come back here on the chair like that. And uh, they walk in and, said, and I didn't recognize them. and said, hi Tony, we're here from the Dublin office. We're here to check security. And I thought, oh fuck. And I just, I handed them the the um, keys of the safe and said, no, no, we don't need to check that. We're just here to check the viability of putting a drop box, you number know, to put the suitcase into the wall and drop yeah, in the yeah. money. And i kind of going, all right. And uh, so I'm sitting back down and I get a phone call at for that very moment. And I get a phone call and I, it's not, the number's not withheld. It's a mobile number. And I answered. I said, hi, Tony speaking. Who's this? And I said, Paddy. And I said, Paddy who? And he Paddy Power. Who oh, Paddy Power? And he said, yeah. And it wasn't Paddy Power of the organisation it was the person from the ads, the person from the telly. Pa-
1: Paddy Power, Paddy Burns. I'm
2: not going to call And he said, "His exact words to me were, you may have noticed our systems were down, but if you need to get a bet on, this is my private number. If you need to ring this morning, I'm kind of going, gee, you wouldn't, you couldn't make it up.'" And I'm just said, "No, you're fine." I, I hung up the phone because I was very mindful of the
1: what, people oh, in the no, office. Yeah.
2: Like I mean, like they were for from, from me to you, for me to you, And I'm kind of going. What's after happening? You know you're, you sit you sit back down and you kinda of go, This is mad. And I um I kind of um I was I was asking Aaron Rogan about it afterwards and they said it wouldn't have been unusual for that to happen. And they kind of went, That sounds very unusual. The head of organisation ringing you to the place about. And uh, but my my synopsis of it is that they were worried about me, that I'd won that I'd won big that weekend and, and I had that was it. I had the ammunition to go even bigger. Yeah. Um but they needn't have worried because the audit team left at half ten, I think, or ten o'clock, I think. And I, at systems were back online. And I started gambling, and I had thirty-one bets that day over a twelve-hour period. Thirty bets, thirty-one bets, thirty bets lost. I would one big win of one hundred fifteen thousand, but I lost thirty bets and ten o'clock that nine fifty-seven that night. The balance of my account is zero. I lost all the over four sixty-two. Yeah, and then I started the whole process again. I'd won money. On um, you can see it on my online accounts. I used to bet maybe a thousand euro, fifteen hundred euro in the bookies, and I won eight thousand eight hundred euro. And I put it back into on my online account, and I started the whole process again.
0: Oh, that is draining. Look, I can feel that in my head. Because you can relate
2: to it from going through it. Similar.
0: But not, not. I wouldn't say I've even gone through anything. Then compared to that, look, like, mm. that is actually horrible to think about. Mm. Like, my head is spinning thinking about that. Look, mm. I used to complain about losing, say two grand or a grand. And that'd be over. Oh, so when I used to drink, I'd go out on a two-day bender yeah. or a three-day bender. And it didn't matter where I was. Could be in a gaff party somewhere. Right? Fuck it, I'm here. i mean, I'd 50 quid in a am bleeding. Mm. Virtual horse. Didn't matter. And then it's only a couple of days that you'd look back and you'd go, yeah, bleeding bars, I could have got a couple of tracksuits and this and that and that. And over the course of the few days, you'd be at the lose a grand or two. Talking
2: four hundred and sixty-two grand in twelve hours. It could have been four thousand six hundred. It, it was what it meant. Yeah, it was that thing of oh, I was nearly there. Mm. Um, And like I remember, I remember I had thirty thousand euro on a horse at ten to three. Like, and it's mad. given. Like, I'm talking about as if it was just a tenner. Yeah, like yeah. it's just because I'm so used to the figures. Like I'm not trying to dismiss the amounts. Like I remember, I was I had thirty thousand euro on a horse at ten to three or one hundred thirty whatever. And I was never. Get, I was sitting up in the bedroom, and we had a kind of a small telly in the wall. And uh, I had the, at the race was on. I had it piped up, and you know, herself was calling me to come on. And I was, like, I'll be there in a minute. And like, I, I think she must have tied diarrhoea more times than I'm done a minute toilet. i will be down, yeah, because that's where I spent most of my time, yeah, um, gambling. Oh. And um, I remember the horse romped in by about twenty lengths, and I remember just thinking, oh fuck! It wasn't like I won a hundred thousand euro, and I didn't even, I didn't even flinch watching the race, and. The joy had gone over, well gone out, because for me it was kind of oh, I have to go again. I have to try use this. I was nearly, I was nearly like a, a boxer against the ropes. I was just, yeah. I was mm-hmm. just nearly gone, and this was just like that one reprieve. And I went, I don't want to go into the next round.
1: Would you rather just lost
2: the money? You'll know, often hear that when talking to people at, at the stage when it gets to gambling addiction, it's the nearly there's a nearly relief when you lose because you can just kind of as you were, I think. One of you were saying around that the mist kind of, the mist kind of. Rise and you kind of see a bit clearer, and you kind of no. It's when the miss rise and you kind of go, oh Jesus, I still have to get this money back. But you'll often hear people saying that that moment, the respite, is worth anything when you don't have any money to gamble for that while, because then you, you know that to go again. yeah, I don't have to go again. But then the panic sets in, and then the scheming sets in, and then the manipulation sets in, and then you start again. So it's like this constant. I'm um, even talking about almost again, stress myself. <laughs> it's that constant. Um, Rat race. Yes, exactly. That's the best. It's just it's just it's just, it's just constant.
0: Hamster on a wheel. Yeah, yeah and sometimes you fall of
2: off, but then you're you kind of going, yeah, I want to stay off, but I have to get back on. I have to go on, yeah. Yeah, because I have to fix this, and it's horrendous.
1: So tell us about the day where it all goes wrong, all goes tits up, it blows up, and you get found out, Tony. 29th
2: of June, 2011, uh, I arrive in on a Wednesday morning. It was a surprise audit. Um, I didn't go into the office, thankfully, because that was always a big fear of mine, just being there, and being caught in right there and being kind of like trapped, and I remember I, I drove into the car park at the back, like I did every morning, and I saw all the poor leash Reg cars, I knew it was the area office and i i had I just had an inkling. You know the way you just know I think what happened a couple of days previously I had been at one of the girls who worked there, her mom had died, and I was at the funeral in in Bray or something and I think when they went back to collect the cars that they noticed that my car was back there. I was doing the cash account before anyone were get in the office in the morning so I could be ready. So I arrived in and I and I saw them and it was like that rush. It was just like adrenaline. It was just kind of like, you know, I went into flight or flight and I I, I just got, I went, I got into the car and I, drew, I drove, I was, was speeding out of Gori. I had a tracking device for tire kidnapping. um satellite device. I took that apart and threw it out the window while I was driving. I took apart my mobile phone and threw, took out the SIM card, threw that out the window. It was like a scene from a film. I was expecting the guard the helicopters to be flying. And I hit a humpback bridge coming over. I nearly bounced over the bridge into the river. I was going so fast. And I eventually calmed myself and, and got in. I think I stopped in Drawhead or Dundalk. I can't remember. And my whole idea was just to go as far away as I could. And the furthest way was Belfast because I was kind of going, I just get to Belfast, different country. Uh, I changed a bit of Stirling. And even going into change sterling, I went into a shop. i never never a Mercurial Nike hat. I had that on me, so I couldn't, you know, I was so paranoid. And I went into the shop, I went into the bank, changed whatever I had into sterling. I think I 600 sterling and drove into Belfast. And I just kind of camped and just kind of went right, collect yourself. What to do? Straight into Paddy Power. Oh, no, it wasn't, sorry, it was Labrooks. I went in and started gambling. While I'm on the run? While I'm on the run. And it was just, it was that kind of, because that's where I was, I felt I was in that, that bubble. That was your cowboy. That was my safe it. place, yeah. So five races in, 500 sterling down, and I kind of go, I've no money here I'm going to end up sleeping on the streets of Belfast and I put 100 sterling on the last race a horse of 61 the horse won and I got the money back so I went and tried to book into a place in Belfast they were looking for ID so again paranoid I didn't want to book in with my passport in case the guards were flagging stuff and I just got in the car and drove out of Belfast and the first town I came across was Carrick Fergus so I stopped in the Carrick Fergus booked into a hotel called Dobbins under my friend's name gave them cash and that's where I stayed for a couple of days still gambling during the day I used to go down and start gambling I won a fortune while there in in physical bookies I was on a roll I was winning money won a couple of grand lost a couple of grand um, and still gambling online even though I knew the theft I was still gambling I had a few bets still going um, and there was a couple of Wimbledon was on at the time so there was a couple of tennis matches that were delayed because of rain and they were pushed out and I I was still gambling still thinking I can still fix this even though I know the theft It's
1: it's too far
2: gone but at least if I can fix this it's something and that's where your skewed thinking comes in. So, What
0: um, about your wife and family and all that? I didn't
2: care. I just At that point, you don't care. They
0: know where you were.
2: No, no not one knew. I left him. on the Wednesday. All I'd done was i sent my co-worker, who had been the mails manager, I sent him a message saying, I'm after being involved in the car crash outside Tullow. I'm okay with the ambulances on the way. So it's just because I knew they were in there. So it was just about trying to, to buy time. time then, so yeah. I'm in Carrie Fergus. My... my um, I suppose that, the Friday night, I was there from the Wednesday. And again, from the outside, it was like someone who was on holidays. I was kind of like going out on a few drinks during the day. I was kind of going into um, in to kind of um, have meals. Very poignantly, I suppose, I went in to get tattoos. And I had a tattoo on my arm of oh, the stupid looking uncle, Chinese kind of symbol thing. And I got that covered up. It was like, and I got my daughter's name on this arm. So it was like, it was like, I don't know what it was. It was kind of like. I don't know, I wanted to have her with me, but I wanted to forget some of the past as well. Yeah. I was getting ready for, I don't know what. Like I was a get- new
1: life kind of thing. I, don't,
2: I didn't even know what was going to be. I was just getting ready for something. Because yeah. I knew this was big, I knew that whatever happened was going to be big. Whether it was me taking my own life or me not being, me, what was going to happen. So it was kind of like, I remember everything really changed on the Friday night. I lost all the money online. And I drove into Belfast because I had one of those dockets with about €10,000 on it, you know, the ones that used to do during the day. Mm. And again, I was waiting on a tennis match on that. So one went down, the the online bets went down about 7 o'clock on a Friday and the other one came up about half 7. And I was there, right, I need to get this online to stay gambling. It wasn't even that I could wait till the the Saturday morning. I had to get in there. It was like trying to get in and get your fix. Mm. So I just had to get in. So I drove into a random Paddy Power office, handed in the docket and said... um, there's a bit of money in that I can he put into my account, Tony 10. And he said, yeah, no problem. Now, he was on his own. He was very busy that evening. And I remember that transaction was usually about 40 seconds, 40, 50 seconds. And he went into the back and I knew he'd have to ring Gory, it's Paddy great. Power. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of going, if he rings them, they were obviously going to have, will have been contacted by the guards because they would have put two and two together. Um, but I didn't care. I had to get this fixed. And I remember him looking at me and I've heard since that they had pictures of me behind the counter and they had pictures of me on their system and they were told to take my bets but not to spook me. And, uh, but I was, I was, I, I was panicking because he was in and out, in and out and I was kind of, this is not right. So I just spun him some yarn about, oh, to the cars double part, I'm going to go outside and I went up to the end of the street and, um, I remember looking around the um, corner and a police car comes flying down, pulls up outside and I kind of go, oh crap, they're here. And, um, to Start talking to people outside and um, they left after a couple of minutes and just flew off in another direction. Now, the rational mind would kind of say, Listen, just leave your docket and get the hell out of here, oh, yeah. Um, but no, I, I needed that money, I, I had to have it because there's only a bit sterling left as well. And I had to had to get that docket back, I had to get back online, win all this money back, and fix something. And I went back into the office, uh, Paddy Power office, and I went back in. and I remember going up to the counter and just saying, I told him, I, I said, My exact, I think my exact words were like, I'm. Can I get the doctor back? I'm staying in Carrie Fergus, but I'll cash it in across the water and going across the water. I didn't know what I was saying. And he just looked at me and said, Yeah, yeah, there you go, no problem. And I kind of, I was nearly running out the doorway. I, and I just I turned around the way out and I just said, By the way, what's the story of the police car? And I said, I oh, was a hit and run here about half an hour ago. They were here just checking to see if anyone saw anything. And I thought they were there for me. And I just had to get out of the office. And that's when I went back and started drinking in the hotel. I started drinking really, really heavily in the hotel. Um, I'll never, never forget, I was drinking with a fellow with a Rangers tattoo on the side of his head. <laughs> and he said he was in recovery for alcohol, but he wasn't in recovery that night. But we just drank and we just, he was telling me, I was saying, again, it was like I was on, like a tourist, I was telling him where I was going and he was saying, maybe stay away from this area or that area. And, and we we just drank for the night. Was telling me great some great stories and I um, remember I kind of fell off the bed about four o'clock in the morning. Meanwhile, down in Carlo, news had started to filter in about uh, my friends, uh, I think, the Mail's manager had texted my wife looking for me, and she and he said that I'd said I was in a car crash or something. She contacted my other best friend, Niall, who'd contacted my other friend, who was his father's next detective in Wexford. He rang up and said there was no accidents. He would rang the ambulance service, and then just the news started to filter through. It, the um, my friend's dad, who's next detective, said there was no accident, but there was a surprise audit in Gorey Post Office this morning, yeah. So news started filtering through. I was, um well, I was drinking in the hotel at night. My dad was in the was in the Garda station because they hadn't heard from me as you were saying for four, three or four days. Um, and he was there when the CCTV footage came in of me leaving the Paddy Power office. And that's when I was I wasn't a missing person anymore. And I remember he got a glimpse of it and he just saw that there was cobblestones outside the Paddy Power office. So he made a mental note of that. And he went back to the house where there was a big there was a big meeting on in in our house or my my house at the time. And my friend was also meeting a friend of his who worked in Paddy Power and he was giving him the full rolling down. And no one knew about the gambling. I mean, like, people knew, I bet, but no one knew. My best friend, I would often say that the one time he kind of questioned afterwards was when um, I he rang me one day and I answered the phone. I was in the bookies but I came out of the bookies and answered the phone because I was so paranoid. Mm. And I didn't hang up when I went back in. He heard me going back in and he heard the bookies. He just said, why is he lying to me about being the bookies? Like, it was your partner, wife, you might like say, "I'm mm. I'm not in the bookies, but... So why would he lie to me about where he was? So and he, he'll keep this life from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Double life, double life. It was like it was only afterwards again. He's he doubt he questioned that, and then he kind of said, did notice that I wasn't myself in certain situations," yeah. but also like you know he was always saying, like, I remember going to match. He said, "You start talking to me about German second division football." I was kind of going, "Why are you talking to me about that?" So, like, there was signs there, but no one ever put two... But John Rayleigh, really, man, the aftermath yeah. of something you saw to go. Ah, yeah, it's up there. Uh, that's what it was. Yeah, especially with gambling. So, that... And he'll always tell the stories. Well, he, he'd keep... He, they feared the worst, so he'd gone around all the beaches in Wexford expecting to find my body washed up on it because they knew... They were hearing the extent of it. That night when he arrived back to the house, there was 15 family members or 16. They were all in the house. Apparently, it was a very heated house. They were trying to... What we could do? My father came in and said, listen, he's actually been spotted in Belfast... They used Google Maps to find that paddy power one of the cobblestones and got the address and decided we're going to drive up to Polymor to try and find me or get some information. My best friend Niall came back and I remember he, he my sister will always tell the story that he called her outside, was telling her the story, and she just clapped my wife collapsed on the on the lawn when she heard it, like and it was just the pure shock of it. The amounts of money, the the fact that I'd stolen, the fact that I was they thought it was tiger kidnapping at the start. Because there was a couple of them around the one post at that time as well. So meanwhile, um, they all left for Belfast the following morning. I got up fairly groggy about one o'clock and I went down to the bookie office, uh, and that's when I had my last ever bet. It was a horse called Bidet in two thirty-five in Newbury, I think, and it lost the course. I had a hundred sterling on it, eleven to four, I think. And I remember when I was waiting for the race to start, I opened the newspaper, and because there was the media silence was over now. I was there was a picture of the Gordy Post Office headlines: Post Office Manager Steals One Point Seven Five Million. And I don't, I don't remember any of the article, only that family and friends are looking from the Wicklow Mountains. So it kind of, it's the first and time... The Wicklow Mountains? Yes, yeah, so they, they were looking for me in all the oh, beaches and mountains. They thought I was dead. So kind of, I just said to so myself, I made contact because I hadn't spoke to anyone. So I went back and I had the laptop. I didn't have a phone, so I started emailing my wife. And I was getting the meshes back straight away and I was kind of, the meshes were getting darker. So I was in a darkened room in carrick Ferguson, in room number six in Dobbins in Hotel, and my mind was getting darker. I was t te- I was emailing and saying I'm sorry for everything, tell my daughter I'll always love her. And when I w- and I was thinking to take my own life. I was thinking, you know, I can't you know, I can't I was so overwhelmed I can't deal with the the shame, the guilt, whatever else was going to be coming with it. Um I can't even deal with prison because I knew that was coming. And um so I was just thinking, I just want I just want an easy way out of this. And also I just want the madness that's in my head to stop. That'll quieten everything because, you know my head is just totally spinning, so I just thought, right, this is the only way I can quieten this, and I'm sending these emails, and they arrive into the Paddy Power Office in Belfast, and luckily the same lad was on from the night before, and after a bit of gentle persuasion by my friend, because he wasn't going to give any information, and he saw for how upset everyone was, he told him that I said I was staying in Carrickfergus, so they were all flew to Carrickfergus in the cars, they arrive in, and my car is down with the seafront when they arrive in, now, I just had to move it in the morning from the hotel room, total coincidence that my car was out, I was up in the hotel room writing emails and my, I said my mind was getting very dark and um, they got the PS&I involved because they were worried and they couldn't find me in any of the hotels. So they got the ps to go into the hotel and I got a phone call from reception and a half five in the evening saying, do you want your room cleaned? I was kind of, no one rings at half five in the evening. Got my parent, and I looked out the window, but if I'd looked a bit more to the right, I would have seen all my family members were up by the Witherspoons and um the, I got a knock on the door two seconds later. Two PSNI officers with guns stand at the door. Um, one of them stepped in. I could hear the other fella run downstairs telling him we found him, we found him. Went out and told my family members because they thought I was at the brink of just about to do something. Yeah. And uh, so it was very much they were panicking. Just, we only have a certain amount of time. And the other fella stood in. And I'll never forget, I can still picture him. He stood in and he leaned against the radiator and I just broke down. I, I fell back in the bed and I just broke down. And that's my first ever experience of. Psychotherapy or counseling because a com- poor, poor, complete stranger got everything. I just opened up about everything to him and he just sat there and listened. and It felt good, it felt relief. And, um, yes, my family members filtered in and out of the room over the next couple of hours. All I wanted to do was see my daughter, I was very distraught. All I wanted to do was see her, and um, yeah, we left about fast about half 10 that night. Stopped into a petrol station on the way down to get a bottle of water and walk into the petrol station. Very surreal moment. actually walked in and I could just see my picture out in front of all the newspapers and very paranoid and get the bottle of water and get back into the car and then I heard the news bullet in the radio. Apparently it was on the six o'clock news, nine o'clock news, but it only really hit me when I got home and I saw my mum for the first time. The look she gave me, I'll never forget the day, the day I died, it was just pure look of disgust and disappointment and that's when I really knew that the impact I had on other people and yeah, I didn't leave the house for three weeks and then I started, went to treatment then three weeks later and that was the start of the recovery journey were you,
1: When were you arrested for it?
2: I went into treatment I, I actually presented myself I, I, actually, I was so paranoid about being around the town the guards were brilliant throughout the whole process I must say and the detectives like they met me in um, my solicitor's house and they took a lengthy statement and I said just hand up. I handed up me, my dad had already handed up the passport and I just said I'm going to treatment and I said listen we'll talk to you when you get out make sure you get yourself right. And uh, went did the treatments? And I got out on the 7th of October and I was asked to present myself to Gordy Garda Station on the 7th of December, I think, 2011. I was arrested and charged with 46 counts of theft and false accounting, interviewed for 12 hours. You know, the laces taken off you, the belt taken off mm-hmm. you, the mugshot, the fingerprints, and that's when it really hits you. You're locked in a cell Eating your burger and chips between interviews, and you kind of really and you know, I've never been troubled before, like this was alien to me, yeah. But they were brilliant. Even when they dropped me, like they dropped me home that night. Like my friend was going to come and let me They drop me up up the road. So this, like the detective, Ian Hayes, was absolutely brilliant. He said, "Listen, um, we don't want people to be talking, so he dropped me so they wouldn't see me getting out of a car the car because I was actually going in to get him to the needle nose pliers as evidence. And before that day had come and they done three search, three search warrants, they were looking for um looking for journals um of how I kept it but I kept all the figures in my head.
1: Yeah.
2: Um and I'll never forget that day as well, like just st- sitting in my parents in law in a Hello Kitty bedroom and five lads going around the house and interviewing everyone it was, it was it was horrible in lots of ways. But then I was arrested that day and um I was told the court case would take about um take about a year between the book of evidence and everything. So um yeah it was a year later I was in a courtroom in Wexford and um, I was sentenced to three years in prison. Um, now, I was told it could have been, I was ex, I was told to expect between five and seven. I was going to say, were well, you happy with three? Yeah, because I think because I was able to prove that I hadn't benefited financially as such. Like People say, oh, you benefited. you got the thrill of the gambling, but you, you don't get thrill of gambling. Like yeah, it's as if you're taking yeah. money on buying a car. But I, I didn't have a car, I wasn't. the house wasn't changed, I wasn't going to holidays. Mm. Like, you know, from for 13 years through all my gambling, I was never in Anfield once. And all the money that passed me. I'm a big Liverpool fan. I've been over there a couple of times since. I was over there a couple of times before. And, but with all the money that passed from my hands, I never went on any holidays or went. So that was very much one of the against circumstances um, that, that I hadn't financially Benefit. benefited from it. Um, and I was still paying back the money. And um, so that was on the lower end of what we expected. But I'll never forget, I was standing in there and I remember talking to someone in Convera, and he was always saying, um, you know, if they talk about the if talk about the negatives first, you're okay because the top of the positive is going to be on the lower. I remember I said, right, she's talking about the negatives, right? she'll be okay. And now here I am saying the memorari and the the of prayer and everything in the corner, and my whole family to the right, and you can see people. And I heard her saying the word six, and I just looked over my friend, and we just went like that, and then she said six, and then she worked backwards, and she got four years at one suspended, and even you know I was led away, and just footage of it on you know it's one of the documentaries that they done called Fina and you see me getting to the back of the prison van and going across Wexford Bridge, there's tears rolling down my face, but tears of relief, because I knew what I had to face, and I knew that that was the worst part of it over. And I got kind of mentally strong, so that I knew that I could face whatever prison was to throw at me. But um, yeah, it was a tough, the unknown was a really tough, but I, like, I, hands up from the start, I didn't try to blame anyone, anyway, I took full responsibility of it. Did, it, had, it did come to light in Aaron Rogan's book that Paddy Power paid the money back, the £1.75 million. They got on post to sign like I had a it. back? Apparently so, yeah. I we, we had, I remember around the time was I when I was being interviewed by the post office um, afterwards, I, I agreed to in, you know, go in and give mm-hmm. them everything about the how I'd done it. They said, would you mind kind of working with us to try reclaim some of the money back off the insurance? Because the money was insured, I think there was an excess of quarter of a million, but the rest was insured by an English insurance company. And um, I remember, yeah, no problem, I'll do whatever it takes. And then they just they didn't ask then. And my solicitor thought that was a bit strange that yeah. when he tried to contact him, said that he was the case for that had been pushed up. So apparently, anyway, what we believe is that shortly before, shortly after the court case, that the money was paid back and there was non-disclosure an signed by one post. Um, and I remember Aaron Rogan asked me how I felt about it. And I felt very mixed. When it came out in the book, I remember reading, it was in the business post, the article stating, I remember I felt conflicted. I felt angry. I felt... Bit relief that you know, in some part, even though they hadn't come out and said, "Yeah, we had failings in this case," because they never commented on the case. That showed that part they took some sort of responsibility. Yeah. Like I take full responsibility What I done was wrong. I should have asked. Yeah. Her, I should well, have. Someone should have stepped in somewhere. Yeah, it's like I worked in bars for years, and if someone's fizzly drunk, you'll you, say, you don't let's serve let's, them. Yeah, you say, you say, "Listen, come back tomorrow," or "Listen, take a break." Or, but with the gambling, it kind of really puts all the onus on the person to take their own break. Like you mm. know, I need to say for gambling messages, or take time to think when the fun stops. Stop. It's different landscape now. I know that there is change on the way, but back then it was just like, you know, they will restrict your county if you win too much.
1: Yeah, so this is what I wanted mm. to get into. I've heard stories where they butter up people. So were you it up, were you like these special like exclusive deals and offers and offer trips away? Like I've heard of yeah. people being brought to Champions League finals and stuff. Yeah,
2: so I was a, v- I was a VIP. So to yeah. be a VIP, you have to be the biggest loser. So you have to lose over a certain amount. I think it's over 30,000. I don't know exactly how much it was. So I was brought to the Europa League final in Dublin. Um, wine and dine silver service steak I was bought to the Budweiser Irish Derby um, I know that if I'd asked for a box seat in the Premier League game I would have got I was told if I'd asked for a round world trip I would have got I would have got tickets for the World Cup in mm. Brazil or whatever to keep you gambling and that's yeah. um, so I was definitely buttered up but I think so that's
1: what I'm saying you know where they, they fall back on this like oh when the fun stops stops gamble responsibly but do you not think they should have more duty of care yeah. for their clients Definitely. And step in there, especially when you see the irregu- irregular mm. bet. But they have the
2: technology like that, to do it. Exactly.
1: Like, you know. Because as you said, this is what I wanted to touch on was if you win too much, they step in and be like, listen, because I heard of someone, now I thought this was a myth, you know, this is bleeding, rain man, fairy tale mm. stuff. But you know, there's professional
2: gamblers yeah. out there who are banned from every bookies up and yeah. down the country. Yeah. They can't set up an account. Mm. But even if someone does win underground, grand, they use it as a marketing thing. Oh, look, we're after getting cleared out. And it's, it's worth the weight in gold because they get more people gambling because of that.
1: I was going to ask you at the start, do you think there's a bit of arrogance to gambling, being like, look, I knew this was going to happen, and that's what
2: I'm at the yeah, point in this situation. It's about goal predicting the future, out. isn't it? It's about kind of like, I, I believe I'm right. And for me, it was ego, like, you know, kind of mm. I can predict it, like, I'm brilliant. And in that moment, like, if you get all the losses in that moment, like, you're, I, I feel like I'm after winning all this money, I'm brilliant, I know what I'm doing. Or yeah. And then at the start, when you're sharing your bets, you know, other people telling you how brilliant you are. And if you're anyway insecure or not quite yourself, you know, like that kind of. Is showing yeah, light, this bit yeah, this you. is kind of great. Like, you know, yeah. like, and that's. And then there would be arrogance, though, as well. Like, you know, like there would be. I think, anyway, like, there, I think there is a little bit of arrogance
1: mm. in that's, that
2: whole scene, anyway.
1: Yeah. And that's what happened to me. I got really triggered by the numbers overall, yeah. you know, statistics and everything. I remember I lost 50 quid on uh, the Super Bowl one year, betting on how long the national anthem would be. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, this is actually ridiculous. This mm. is stupid. Like, why yeah. am I even betting on this? But I bet on it for the sake of saying like, usually it's over two minutes, but this time it was under two minutes and I lost. And then another time, remember McGregor fought Mayweather. Yeah. I had a hundred quid on a punch to be thrown in the first ten seconds. was Mazda? Yeah, he threw a punch in like six seconds or something like that. And I remember jumping around the house cheering when a punch was thrown. Everyone's like, "What's wrong with you?" So I had a hundred quid on that. And that's when I knew like, <laughs> This is fucking stupid It's not as like if you're putting 100 quid on like, You know you to win On Saturday But yeah. there's no even buzz Out there You're getting
0: 10 seconds And you're either going to be On a higher on a lot
2: But the thing about In play betting Is you'll get 10 seconds But then you go in And do it again Yeah mm-hmm. you can do it. Like you were saying About one of the ones I had before you Just reminding me It was like Champions League final Barcelona and Man United like I'd be a bit of a Barcelona fan as well And I had Rooney And Messi score both In 90 minutes and Rooney and was scores. in, Wembley in 2011. Yeah. And Rooney scores. Rooney scored, uh, yeah. 3-1. No, yeah, Rooney scored. It was 3-1. And I jumped up and I said, why are you not celebrating that? And I said, no, no, no. i kind of <laughs> forgetting myself. And then, then Messi scored. And then I, I jumped up. I said, why are you doing? So I had to tell him. I think I had 500 euro at 8-1. Won 4 grand. But I told him I won 500 euro. Yeah. I always took the zero off it. And I bought drinks for the night. And you regret great. How would you pick that? You know, the, again, are yeah. against the ego.
0: But it is one of them. Like when you click a big bet
2: mm. and... Say
0: the boys are there, and everybody praises
2: you. Yeah. How did like, you do that, like, like, That's that's unbelievable. But it's, not, it's look, it's just yeah, it's, it's complete. Look, only so you know, I many markets like you know like someone to score after uh, left foot off the other lads' arse to so go into the goal. You can gamble on whatever you want nowadays, mm. and that's the scary bit. Like I was even talking to someone earlier on. It's like those markets are there, and you're kind of going. It like, could be 150 markets on a football game. There's no need for 150 no. markets. No, but not. you will find something that will resonate with you in that moment, mm. and you'll back yourself. You know, like for that one to throw a punch in the first 10 seconds, like it's kind of, look, how does anyone even think of that kind of
1: yeah. thing? Yeah, oh, I was seeing another one the other day, it was a bet, a uh, friend of mine done, and it was a bet builder, and you know, it's like, mm. so many shots, so many goals, so many cards, and he was, he had like four out of five up, and for something like a 10, I was getting back 250, mm. and at half time he had four of them up, and I think the next one was like four shots on target, but, at half time there was already three shots on target. Mm. So he's waiting for 45 and minutes. Another team is down to 10 men as well. Yeah. Waiting forty-five minutes for one shot on target, right? So with that 10, he was getting back 250. The cash out was 200 quid. And I was thinking, they're withholding 25% of that bet. <laughs> Knowing quite well he's like there's gonna be another shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? You think they'd just say, right, look, there's the money, because then they have forty-five minutes to bet. But they didn't, they withheld it. And then the shot came in and anyways... I to look it's
2: all psychological. Nights. Like that that thing wasn't there when I was gambling that um, cash out or with uh, reversal or withdrawal or mm. withdrawal reversal. Mm. So none of that stuff was there. Like that's playing, like if, you know, if, if you cash out early and then it does come in, you're kind of thinking... I should have had 250 instead of 225 or 200 euros. So you start chasing the other 50. The yeah. whole psychology is, yeah. is mental it, behind. As well,
1: the money takes a second to go from your account to theirs, but it takes three mm. days to come the other way.
2: Yeah. You know what I mean? I did, it's also open in their favour, isn't
1: it? Yeah. But like, it is always stacking mm. their favour. If you win too much, they reduce what you mm. can bet. You know what I mean? If you're losing a lot, they entice you to come back in.
2: Yeah. Like... like I know we're kind of like bookie bashing now, but I'm I'm not anti gambling. Like even what I've gone through, I'm not anti gambling. But I am I am very much anti gambling harm, and like we're we're still seeing the same failings in our service. Of you know, there's still a lot of failings. in The legislation and regulation is is non-existent, really, and uh, we need that to be kind of changed. Um, but you know, the problem is that there's you know the, there's no appetite for change. there. like we. You know, we're supposed to have regulation. The heads of the bill were published in two thousand thirteen. It's still not enacted. The previous record was the alcohol bill it was three and a half years, and there was heavy lobbying against that. So we need to see those changes so that it is regulated, like what, like how it is in the UK, where there are fines for their failings. Um, and I think like it's it's so set up, um, like it's it's marketed as this entertainment, and that, that's fine. Like, But if you went to the cinema or went for a nice meal with your partner or, or went to a concert, you wouldn't ask for your money back on the way out because you see it as I'm paying for the entertainment. The problem with gambling it goes very quickly from that to I expect to win my money back mm. yeah. or I'm doing it to try win money. So, like, if you're going to uh, uh, you know, go to the horse race for a day, you might go to a budget of, of 100 euros and say, right, that's my money for the day. If I, if I lose, I'm getting experience at the horse race, and so it's, it's a bit of entertainment. Like, my best friend, um, he takes the week off every year, gentleman he has a budget set for it, he'll go a few camels and he's not on the expectation to win money, it's his way of enjoying the racing, if he wins, there okay, is. if not, but I think for a lot of people, gambling becomes that way of, I expect to win, or I'm due to win,
1: yeah. Yeah. and that's
2: the psychology, and then if you lose a bit, then you're chasing, so there's so many of that, inbuilt, that means that it can develop into something a bit more sinister, Yeah. Um, and then if you look at, the ease of access, it's often talked about, mobile phones, 24 hours a day you can place a bet gamble on anything I was flicking through Sky Sports the, other and the odd time I go one up by mistake on that race and they come back out but I saw Hong Kong racing at 7 o'clock in the morning so you can gamble on anything and you have access to watch it as well whereas if you look back when I was looking at the results coming in on Saturday afternoon it was the old uh, video printer you know you see the result coming in at quarter to five but now even watching soccer Saturday it's an immersive um, experience if you have a bet on because you're you're hearing the boys shouting or something after happening you're getting that buzzing rush the Whole time, through. so it's just something we need. I think it's great that we're having the conversation, it's great for the likes of yourselves to shine a light on it because it is something that we need to be talking about more, yeah. In the same kind of way as we're talking about alcohol and drug. yeah. I think it preys on
1: a very vulnerable part of society, um,
2: and yeah. because
1: you can bet any amount, and like that, if a ten out to you was nothing but a ten out to someone else who hasn't got it, it's a yeah. lot,
2: it's all relative. Like it's mm-hmm. that's what I said at the start, it doesn't matter if it's someone spending their. Their pocket money or their disposable income—it's—it's—it's it's, it's relative. Like if someone's spending all their social welfare and there's no food being put on the table, it doesn't matter if it's ten thousand euro or ten euro every day. Like it could be only someone saying, oh, "There's only five a day," but the five a day could be the nappies for the the, the baby or the food. Yeah. So it's yep. it's relative how it impacts a person's life. It doesn't have to be huge figures, and that's why I'm, even when I'm telling the story, I'm always kind of and the, you know we talked about there. There's figures thrown around that are huge. It doesn't matter. It's it's. I've seen. I've. For the last 10 years I've worked in a space and I've heard horrendous stories that mine doesn't even come close to. Mm-hmm. And the, the probably the worst one I've ever heard is when a 19-year-old student took his own life because of gambling. 19, just after leaving school a couple of years, obviously developed a problem through his younger years, got to the point at 19 that he felt the only way he could sort this or fix this was to take his own life. And I'm one lucky few that come out the far side of that. Um, but so many more haven't, and like there's a great charity in the UK called Gambling with Lives. The stat they always say is that you know, by the time we all go to bed tonight, there'll be one gambling-related suicide in the UK, and that's happening over here as well. So, we need to destigmatize it, we need to talk about it, we need to look at it from a public health point of view. Where we have to stop people from getting to the point of where I got to, or you uh, know, brilliant that you're to pull out of it or, or get out because I'm sure you'll say. Your experience watching sport is even more better now. It took me two years to be able to enjoy watching the match again because mm. it was so tarnished by gambling. Bed, yeah. yeah, So it's brilliant that, but that we need to get to a space where, yeah, it, it, there is a place for gambling in society, but not at the level it's at now. It's flooded. So, Tony, where
0: are you at today now and how things with yourself now?
2: Uh, brilliant. I suppose I work in an area, I work with external problem gambling and our service helps people who present for their own gambling issues or family members that might present for loved ones' issues. I I do school talks. We were funded by the HSE to do a number of school talks this year. I've been to over 50 schools this year. um, Sharing a story, sharing kind of some education on gambling. Um, My daughter is 11, very much part of my life. I get to see her um, every weekend because I suppose part of the story I didn't share is that I lost my marriage because of the gambling. And, um, yeah, she's part of my life. I'm with a new partner down in Waterford. Um, Life is good. I remember... It was actually, I think it was in this building when I was doing a previous um, interview back when the book came out. Um, I said, like, it's... I've never been in such a better place in my life because I'm not gambling, but also I'm happy in myself. I'm, you know, well selled mm-hmm. And I remember saying to the person who interviewed me that time, it's just, it's a pity I had to go to hell and back to get there.
1: But mm. well, I'd so, say you're, you're on the other side of it now. Very I mean, much the so, grey yeah. clouds are behind you.
2: Very and much And people. Life still throws curveballs every so oh, often. So, yeah. I still get thoughts about gambling, but... Life is good. Like I like, I enjoy what I do work wise. I feel like I'm helping some people. Um, you know, creating awareness as well is really good. Um, but I enjoy life. I enjoy watching sport now. Even yeah. though we lost the league yesterday, Liverpool, <laughs> I still enjoy watching for what it is. I still woke up with the same bank balance this morning. Yeah. You know, I kind of made a hole in that today. With Tower records, but yeah, okay. um, it's brilliant to be. I'm in a good space. Yeah, that's great to right,
1: hear yeah. on the sh- on the right track. And, so it's just yeah. a shame that we haven't got you for a bit longer, Tony, because there's a lot more stuff that we only scratched An, an awful lot more, but we definitely need a part two. Before you go, Tony, what's
2: the name of the book? Tony Ten's name of the book. Tony um, Ten's name of the book. Yeah, so written by Declan Lynch and myself. Um, yeah, it's out four years, and it's hard to believe it was four years. Mm. And it's also hard to believe it's eleven years since the news broke mm. in July, second of July. So it's brilliant. Um, but also the book by Aaron Rogan, Punters, is a brilliant book to Read if anyone was interested in in that side of it, yeah. Pill books, yeah,
1: definitely a million percent. So, that's definitely substance. uh, I a party with Tony. If you'll come back up, we'll entice you with our records. But, uh, (laughs) we know you have to run, Tony, and we appreciate you coming in. Thanks thanks very much. Episode 74 75. Take (laughs) us out, Kino. Boom. (laughs) 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 Subscribe (laughs) to (laughs) this (laughs) podcast (laughs) for (hymus) free (laughs) on (laughs) the (hupuh) Go (hup) Loud (hup) app.
0: The hip-knocker.